Good morning, Alex and friends. I'm Connie. Today is Wednesday, August 30th, 2023, and you're listening to Alex's News. First, a look at today's weather. Riverside is bracing for a scorcher, with today's high forecasted at a dramatic 105.1 degrees and the low at a mildly cooler 78.6. Stay cool out there, Riverside. Moving on to news across the country, Hurricane Idalia is menacing Florida's Gulf Coast. The Category 4 storm is likely to raise more concerns about climate change. We'll be examining some of the possible ramifications and eliciting expert opinion on the subject. Also making headlines, there's growing clamor for a ban on selling energy drinks to children amidst rising concerns over excessive caffeine levels. We'll explore the crux of this debate and its potential impact on public health. In the world of business, stock market news today is dominated by NVIDIA's surprising rally. Funds holding underweight shares are being punished, leading to some serious underperformance against the market. We'll delve deeper into what this means for investors. Lastly, the Upiat School District in Alaska is making a unique move to align their academic calendar with subsistence harvests in a bid to promoting cultural education and indigenous knowledge. A fascinating story, and we'll bring you more details later. So stay with us for the full stories, right here on Alex's News. Our top story today is the strengthening of Hurricane Adalia into a Category 4 storm, with potential to cause catastrophic damage as it approaches Florida's Gulf Coast. Our reporter Elias is tracking the story and joins us now with the latest details. Elias, what can you tell us about the current situation? Yes, Connie. Various news sources including NPR, CNN, and The Independent have confirmed that Hurricane Idalia's sustained winds are now exceeding 130 miles per hour. The National Hurricane Center has issued a hurricane warning for the southeast coast of the United States, covering areas from Georgia to South Carolina. Elias, could you provide some more details about what's causing this hurricane to intensify so drastically? Of course, Connie. This rapid strengthening is associated with the encounter of Hurricane Idalia with the warm waters of the Gulf of Mexico. This fact was pointed out in an article by KCRA Channel 3 Sacramento. The high water temperatures, up to 89 degrees Fahrenheit in some areas, work as a sort of rocket fuel for the hurricane. Alongside this, other factors like the influence of El Nino, random weather events, and even effects from deep waters of the loop current and eddies have contributed to the storm's potency. This phenomenon of rapid strengthening near coastlines has been seen more frequently in recent times and is a signal towards the potential impacts of climate change. With the storm approaching, Elias, what are the preparations being undertaken by the local authorities? Local authorities, particularly in Florida, are urging residents to be extremely vigilant and prepared. As the storm is geared to hit as a Category 4 event, the primary concern is of catastrophic damage and possibly fatalities, Coastal communities are being advised to evacuate immediately due to the high risk of storm surge, but some residents have chosen to stay behind to protect their properties. How bad could the potential damage be if substantial precautions aren't taken? In the worst-case scenario, the storm surge could reach heights of up to 16 feet above ground level, which could lead to destruction from widespread flooding, 
Moreover, tornado watches have been issued for central and western Florida, further escalating the potential for damage. The Big Bend region, in particular, could possibly experience severe flood surges. As preparations escalate, what has been the response at the state level? Governor Ron DeSantis has declared a state of emergency across 49 of Florida's 67 counties. Residents are advised to seek higher ground if faced with flooding, avoid flooded streets, and down power lines. Also, the state has activated troops and linemen anticipating post-storm recoveries. Power outages are also expected, and it's likely emergency services may not reach residents during the storm. Lastly, Elias, what more is being done to ensure the safety of the Florida residents? St. John's County Connie has issued evacuation orders and is sharing storm shelter information through its Emergency Management Communications website. Two storm shelters are open for public use, and free sandbags are being offered. Additionally, several services like government offices, waste collection, libraries, and schools have announced closures, anticipating the hurricane. It's clear that as Hurricane Idalia nears the Gulf Coast of Florida, the potential for a disastrous impact is high. Stay safe out there, everyone. Thank you for the updates, Elias. You're welcome, Connie. Make sure to stay tuned for more updates on this story and others. We're now moving to our second news story of the day rising caffeine levels in energy drinks and the consequences these levels might have, especially on minors. To discuss this further, our reporter Grace has been following the story closely. Grace, could you enlighten us on the current situation? Absolutely, Connie. There's been mounting concern over the high caffeine content in energy drinks, with specific attention being paid to how this could affect children. In response, lawmakers in Suffolk County, New York, recently passed legislation to curtail the availability of these drinks to minors. Apart from prohibiting their marketing to young people, the county also banned their sale in county parks. That's quite significant. What exactly sparked this move? Well, according to NBC New York, the legislator who sponsored the bill, William Spencer, suggested that energy drinks consumed by kids can contain up to 800 milligrams of caffeine, which is akin to drinking eight cups of coffee. This obviously raises fears about potential harm, particularly to children. And how has the energy drink industry responded to this ban? Not surprisingly, the industry has met the ban with opposition. Lobbyists have maintained that there are other products, like cotton candy and hot dogs, that could be more harmful to consumers. But it's critical to mention that there have been incidents linking energy drinks to serious health repercussions, even fatal ones, and these have heightened the scrutiny on the industry. Now, this isn't only occurring in the United States, is it? No, it's not. In Canada, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, or CFIA, has expanded a recall of energy drinks because of non-compliance with caffeine content and bilingual labeling requirements. This recall, which initially began in July, now includes over 20 brands. CTV News reported on this development and has warned against consuming, serving, or selling the recalled energy drinks. And just to clarify, these high caffeine levels can potentially pose a risk to everyone, but there are certain vulnerable groups, right? Indeed, Connie, Health Canada warns that consuming high levels of caffeine can have adverse effects, especially for children, pregnant or breastfeeding individuals, and those who may be sensitive to caffeine. This definitely raises considerable concerns about the safety of these drinks. Can we expect stricter regulations in the future? 
While we can't predict with certainty, these incidents do underscore the need for more stringent regulations to protect consumers. So whether it's Suffolk County's legislation banning the marketing and sale of energy drinks to young people, or the CFIA's expanded recall in Canada, actions are being taken to ensure public safety. An important story to keep an eye on. Thanks for this comprehensive overview, Grace. My pleasure, Connie. Now on to story three of the day, we turn our attention to NVIDIA Corp., a leading semiconductor company with a significant hand in AI applications. This year, the company has seen a remarkable rally. Let me bring in our resident tech and finance guru, Ethan, for more on this. Ethan, what's happening over at NVIDIA? Well, Connie, you've indeed hit the nail on the head. NVIDIA's stock has soared over 230% this year which has baffled many with its impressive performance, especially compared to other big tech names. However, this rally hasn't benefited everyone equally, specifically funds that were underweighted in NVIDIA shares. How serious is the underperformance we're talking about here? According to an analysis by Morningstar, cited in a Reuters report, it appears only about 15% of the 330 mutual funds benchmarked to the S&P 500 or a similar index held in above index weight in NVIDIA. Contrastingly, 85% of funds with a below average weight in NVIDIA have underperformed year to date. Why would so many funds avoid NVIDIA's stock? Great question. A primary concern among fund managers is NVIDIA's valuation, which is considered by many quite steep. The potential volatility of the stock is another worry factor. Additionally, questions linger about the sustainability of the current chip demand and how the AI landscape might evolve, given that a significant portion of NVIDIA's business relies on these sectors. The rally also seems to have affected NVIDIA's market sizing. Absolutely. NVIDIA's market capitalization has hit a record $1.2 trillion, up nearly $1 trillion in just one year. A big part of this growth came following their earnings report, where it exceeded Wall Street's data center sales estimates by over $2 billion for the quarter. Moreover, their revenue forecast for the current quarter exceeded expectations by more than $3 billion, which caused the shares to close at $487.84, a 4.2% increase, while the S&P 500 index gained 1.5%. And yet, despite the stellar performance, NVIDIA has been underowned in actively managed portfolios? That's right. The caution surrounding NVIDIA, especially concerns about it being overvalued and potential volatility, have led to underweighting. Besides, mutual funds are also underallocated to other large-cap stocks like Apple and Microsoft, which have similarly outperformed the benchmark index. It's an interesting situation, to say the least. It most certainly is. This story has potential long-term impact for fund managers and investors alike, so it will be interesting to see how it plays out. Thanks for shedding some light on this situation, Ethan. Always a pleasure, Connie. For our last story today, we will take you up north to Alaska to the Yupiat School District, which is doing something truly unique. The notoriously frosty state has been making some heartwarming headlines with their innovative approach to education. To add more details to this story, I'm joined by our education correspondent, Chloe. Chloe, just what is the Yupit School District doing that has grabbed attention? Hi, Connie. The Yupit School District, which consists of the Yupik villages of Akiachik, Akiak, and Tuluxik, is aligning its academic calendar with traditional subsistence harvests. This practice allows for the incorporation of Yupik native knowledge into the education system, truly blending education with tradition and culture. 
Interesting. Can you tell us more about why they decided to do this? Well, Connie, this unique approach was initiated when the UPIT school district broke away from a larger district back in the 1980s. Their aim was to incorporate traditional Yupik knowledge into the curriculum, respecting and celebrating the rich local heritage. It recently got the permission to operate on a calendar that starts a week later and finishes 10 days earlier compared to other districts. That's a shorter school year indeed. How is the district ensuring the students aren't impacted negatively by this reduced instructional time? That's an important concern, Connie. To ensure the students get the necessary instruction, each day has an extra half hour of school. This not only compensates for the shorter school year, but also permits students to partake in significant cultural events like the fall moose hunt and the spring migratory bird harvest. So it's not just about the calendrical adjustment, is it? Absolutely not, Connie. The district also offers a summer culture camp that includes activities like processing freshly caught salmon for winter storage. They're even working on incorporating indigenous foods, like fish and moose, into the school lunch program. All of these initiatives are about providing a well-rounded education that respects and incorporates indigenous knowledge and practices. That is truly innovative. How could this potentially impact the challenges faced by rural Alaskan schools? The district is hopeful that this unique approach could address some of the challenges like teacher turnover, poor attendance, and low test scores. By aligning the school year with subsistence harvests and integrating indigenous knowledge, they aim to engage students more profoundly, thus potentially improving attendance and performance. Really insightful stuff. What is the response so far, according to local sources? So far, the responses have been optimistic, as covered by KYUK, a local radio station in Alaska. This unique approach stands as a testament to the importance of indigenous traditions in education, offering a model of how such practices can be integrated into curriculum, and celebrating the heritage and wisdom of Native communities. That's a truly inspirational initiative by the Yupiat School District. We will certainly keep an eye on how this innovative approach affects the district over time, and maybe we will see other districts taking note. Thank you so much for joining us today, Chloe. It's been a pleasure, Connie. Thank you. That's all we have for now. Today's episode was made by Alexander King with GPT-4, GPT-3.5 Turbo, the 11 Labs Text-to-Speech API, and the Google Cloud Text-to-Speech API. I hope you have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow, Alex.